This is Jim Fleming. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to find out more about Stuart Heights or more about our class, or if you'd like to leave us some feedback, you can do so at teachings.jim314.com. Enjoy the lesson. Well, good morning, everybody. So today is week 10 of Colossians. We will very possibly be halfway at the end of today's lesson. It is, it is very possible, so we'll see. Um, as we do and have done each week, uh, I'm going to start in Colossians 1.1 and bring us up to speed. So we'll read through uh, actually verse 15, and then we'll start talking about 16 through 23 today. So Colossians 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you as it has also in all the world, and is bringing forth fruit as it is also among you since the day you heard it, and knew the grace of God in truth. As you also learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him the fullness that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on the earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and enemies in your minds by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight, if indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister." I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but has now been revealed to his saints. To them, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea, and for as many as we have not, have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. 
Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order in the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in Him, who is the head of all principality and power. In Him you are also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with Him in baptism, in which you are also raised with Him through faith in the working of God, who raised Him from the dead. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He has made alive together with Him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed the principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. And then we come to today's text. So let no one judge you in food or drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations, do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using, according to the commandments and doctrines of men? These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the, God, the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. And I am so thankful, because if we still had to do all that stuff, uh, we'll get there, we'll get there. All right, so verse 16, we'll start there. And it says, it starts with what? Therefore. Therefore, or so. So this is important because it connects all the stuff that was before with where we're at now. So because, this is Guzik, uh, because Jesus won such a glorious victory on the cross, we're not to let anyone judge us in food or in drink or in other matters related to legalism. Um, a, a li- he said, a life that is centered on Jesus has no room for legalism. That is really good because there's just nothing there with it. Uh, It says, so let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath. And there's a lot of stuff going on here. So let's talk about what the Bible is not saying. The Bible is not saying we can do whatever we want with drink. The Bible is not saying we can do whatever we want with food. The Bible is not saying we can do whatever we want with uh, festivals or Sabbaths. The Bible is saying don't let anybody tell you you have to adhere to rules and regulations around those things to help your walk with God. Those things are distinct. So does the Bible say anything about drink? Yeah, Yeah. Ephesians 5.18, don't be drunk. Does the Bible say anything about food? It does. Flip over to Romans 14. I want you to see this real quick. We haven't been doing much cross-referencing in this study, and I I get that, and that's actually on purpose, but there's several things that kind of only make sense in in context of uh, other portions of Scripture. So Romans 14, 1 through 4. Who's got it? Darla, you got it? Accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. On what kind of matters? Disputable. Disputable matters. Okay, go ahead. One man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another man Hallelujah. whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. 
Mm. Boy, that, yeah, okay. Keep going. I don't need to get distracted on that. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not. And the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does. For God has accepted him. Yes. So does God accept us based on food? No. And we all said, Amen. Yeah, this is awesome, right? Because what if I didn't have access to the right food? Oh, then you're out of luck. You can't be right with God. This is what this looks like. Keep going, I'm sorry. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. So are there rules around drink? Sure. Are there rules around food? Yeah. Which is basically, how would we summarize 1 through 4 of of Romans 14? I'm going to not offend or put something in the way of my brother to fall. All right. Cool. So... Uh, I'll give you an example of this that actually doesn't have anything to do with food. I was uh, at a music store when I was in college, uh, and I was there with somebody, and we walked in, and Jimi Hendrix's uh, Purple Haze was playing. And we're looking through, you like that song? Okay, cool. We've got to love Jimi Hendrix over here, all right? Don't judge him in that. Uh, so we're flipping through the CDs and looking for stuff, and I look over, and my friend is, like, shaking. It's like, you okay? And she said, well, I, 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 just, I just need to get out of here. He's like, okay. So, sure. So we walked out of the music store and got in kind of the lobby of the mall. This is at Northgate, I think. Got in the, kind of the, the walkway in the mall, and I said, are you, are you okay? I mean, what's, what's going on? She said, well, it, that song triggers memories when I used to drop acid and I started to have a flashback. It's like, oh, okay. Well, what I didn't need to do was turn to her and go, get over it. You're free in Christ. You shouldn't go. No. And I had no idea. I had no idea what was going on. I was just kind of, she's shaking and just doesn't feel like this is healthy. So let's get her out of this environment. But I don't get to judge her for her saying, hey, we need to go because this impacts me in a certain way that is not good. Okay, cool. Well, then let's not go back to do that. Does that make sense? So a goofy example, but this is kind of the, the thought process there. So nobody judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival. You may have a different translation for festival. You may, nobody has festivus, do they? That would be awkward. <laughs> Sorry, that's the weakest joke today. It won't be, but we'll say it is. Uh, that the word is uh, holy day. Uh, it's where it's a, we get the word holiday from it. Uh, so what are our holidays? Somebody tell me what are our holidays. Christmas is a holiday. Thanks, Thanksgiving. Easter is a holiday. Um, so so did, what was that? Arbor Day. I will not judge you if you celebrate Arbor Day. Excellent. That is wonderful. So, uh, so does our church do anything special for Easter? Yes, of course we do. Yes, we all have the yellow shirts to show it. Um, we do this big, massive thing at Coolidge Park, and thousands of people come, and it's really awesome, and that's cool. Uh, does every church in Chattanooga do something like that? No. no. Do we get to judge them for that? No. no, absolutely not. We don't. It's okay. We have liberty, and we are free to celebrate or not. However, we are led to celebrate or not. That's all right. As a practical example of what this looks like today. So... Festivals or new moons. Um, I, does anybody celebrate a new moon? 
I was kind of hoping somebody would raise their hand and be like, I'm all about the new moon. Cool. Can you tell me why? <laughs> but if you celebrate the new moon, then okay. But in the Old Testament, in, I'm at Old Testament's over here today. In the Old Testament, there were celebrations that kicked off at the time of a new moon. Yay. Which I don't look at and go, that's really spectacular. But they kept their calendar by the, by the moon. So it was a big deal. You needed to know when there was a new moon. So they made a big deal about it. And then we get to, or Sabbaths. Now, I'm not going to go into a whole bunch of stuff here, but I did provide a link. I made a bit.ly link yesterday because the real link was about this long. Uh, the Sabbath is abolished. Uh, this is, uh, there's, this is uh, J.B. Kurt, J.B. Kaufman's commentary on Colossians 2. It's a great little section. Um, but what I wanted to mention is that he does such a phenomenal job talking about how the Sabbath is no longer applicable to a New Testament believer. And at the same time, two paragraphs later, he talks about the great heresy of the Reformers in that they said that justification was by faith alone. So, when we read commentaries, we all must remember, nobody has all their theology right. Nobody. I don't. Brian doesn't. Gary doesn't. Daryl doesn't. I mean, nobody does. Nobody's got it all. There was one guy that walked the planet that had all his theology right, and they killed him for it. So, that's the way this works. So, or Sabbath. Has anybody ever experienced a person that said, well, you shouldn't go out to eat on Sunday because that's a holy day? Okay. Has anybody ever experienced you shouldn't go to work on Sunday because that's a holy day? Anybody ever experienced you shouldn't fill in the blank and you went, what? Because it's a whatever day. The underlying point here is that don't think that these things make your walk with God better. Because that is, now we're adding something to the gospel. All right, verse 17. So those things are a what? A what? A shadow. Now, this is, this is weird, all right? Because the Old Testament was a shadow of what was coming in the New Testament. So we'll, we're going to really develop this idea of the shadows. Let's go to Hebrews 8, verse 5. Who's got Hebrews 8, 5? Tim, you got Hebrews 8, 5? Go ahead. We serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things, just as Moses was warned by God when he was about to erect the tabernacle. For, see, he says, that you make all things according to the pattern which was shown you on the mountain. So there was a pattern back in the Old Testament, right? What does Hebrews 10, 1 say? This is cool stuff. For the law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the very form of things can never, by the same sacrifice which they offer continually, year by year, make perfect those who draw near. Right, because the shadow isn't the substance, right? I mean, that just kind of makes sense. The shadow isn't the substance. And we get all hung up and really wrapped around the axle about the shadow, but the substance is of who? What does the text say? It's of Christ, yeah, it's of Jesus. Jesus is the substance. So when Jesus, this is the amazing visual imagery that Paul has here. So if, if where I am standing in the room right now is when Jesus came. When Jesus shows up, he is looking toward the future. He's always looking toward the future. It's kind of cool. So he's looking toward the future. The shadow that he casts in the Old Testament 
are all of these laws and rules and regulations and things. And what would have been beautiful to have happened, what would have been beautiful, is that when Jesus shows up and is the substance, all those people who had spent hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years studying the shadow, if they had just recognized that this is the one one that, that cast the shadow. And they didn't. They missed it. Because they were in love with the shadow. Because the shadow looks and feels like a list of things that you can check off and feel really good about yourself. So we get the shadow mixed up with the substance, but the substance is of Christ. Um, Robertson's word picture, the body cast a shadow and so belongs to, the, to Christ. John MacArthur, here's your, your blank. A shadow has no reality. The reality is what makes the shadow. Right? The reality is what makes the shadow. Um, one of my favorite preachers, he died several years ago, Ray Stedman, he says, I carry with me pictures of my wife, my children, and my grandchildren. I take them along in order to be ready to, for people who try to show me pictures of their grandchildren. I value these pictures and look at them occasionally when I'm away from the home. But what would you think if I propped these pictures all up over my house and talked to them and tried to relate to them? You would think I had lost my mind and probably would have. But more than that, I would certainly soon lose touch with the very people whose pictures I treasure. They would feel ignored and would probably ultimately leave me and these relationships would cease. So you guys ever been to a theme park? You know, a theme park. You've seen those people that draw the characters? Yes, we did that. How cool is that, right? You got my beard. The beard's in there. It's good stuff. This is a picture of myself and my wife and my son. Anna Grace didn't go with us. That's why she's not in here. Um, we thought about putting like a little picture of Anna Grace down here. But that's okay. But if I decided all of a sudden that this is my family, would you like to meet my family? Yeah. This is her. This is Julie right here. Julie, say Hello. <laughs> it's, my, it's my family. Yeah, it's awesome. I'm going to carry it around. I mean, like, this is, that's my family right there. You would go call a doctor, right? Because that's not normal. I'm in love with the shadow, not the real thing. And when we place too much emphasis on the shadow, on the law, on the rules, on the regulations, it reflects about how we feel about the substance. That's the one I've been wrestling with. How we focus, here's your blank, on the shadow is a reflection of how we feel about the substance. I'll give you a couple examples in the Old Testament of shadows that were, uh, that were actually reflections of Jesus Christ. So this is a commentator named Johnson. He says, the dietary and festival observances were a dim outline, a sketch of an object in contrast with the object itself. The offerings were reflections of the one genuine saving offering at the cross. The priesthood was a foreshadowing of the priestly ministry of Christ. And the kings of Israel faintly suggested the coming king of kings and lord of lords. The new age, then, is not the extension of Judaism. Rather, Judaism was more of a shadow of the present age projected into the past. Does that make sense? It, it's because we think about we think about shadows after we see the real thing, but we actually in in the linear time we got to see the shadow before we got to see the real thing, which is another example of things always get better for the believer. We move from the darkness of the shadow to the light of the world. It's beautiful. It gets lighter and better as a believer. 
Uh, Wearsby's got a quote. He says, Sad to say there are many Christians who actually believe that some person, religious system, or discipline can add something to their spiritual experience, but they already have everything they will ever need in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Yes, we're good. Now, I say all that to say, don't focus on the shadows. And I feel compelled to give you this next sentence. But please understand, if you choose to keep the Old Testament Mosaic Law, you are free in Christ to do so. You are actually free in Christ to do so. But also understand, it will not gain you one iota of favor with God. It will not do that. All you will be doing is putting yourself under a tremendous amount of work that is going to lend itself toward legalism. The history of the world tells us that the longer you stay under the shadow and don't focus on the substance, that when the substance shows up, you will reject the substance. It is a dangerous system to stay in forever. It was not intended to be around forever. It was intended to point to Christ, and when Christ comes, he fulfills this. There's a better way. Grace, love, truth, freedom. Yes. This is awesome. This is a better way. So, back to the text. Paul's going to switch gears now. So he's just dealt with legalism. Now we're going to talk about mysticism. So uh, we're in verse 18. Let no one cheat you of your reward. Um, the word for cheat is to umpire. Uh, the idea is that that's the umpire makes a bad call. So you guys have all seen sporting events where some kind of umpire or referee makes a bad call, right? Yes. yes. And sometimes it's great because he makes a bad call for the other team, and it helps your team, and that's fantastic. And you say, thank you, Jesus, when you really shouldn't. Uh, and sometimes he makes a bad call for your team, and then you say words that you really, really shouldn't, right? So that's the way that works. Let no one cheat you or make a bad call of you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels. Now, the commentators go into pages and pages and pages and pages and pages of why we should not worship angels. I'm, so I'm just going to ask a question. Please answer honestly. Has anybody been tempted to worship angels? That's why I'm not going to talk about it today because it didn't feel like something that is really a struggle for the 21st century Christian. I don't know of anybody that even teaches that we should worship angels today. So maybe I'm sure, there's, I'm sure there's somebody out there that's got a doctrine of why we should worship angels. But it's just not that they dealt with it so well in the New Testament, kind of dealt with it here. So worship of angels intruding into or stepping into. Now look at your, I want you to look at your text of the scripture at this point in verse 18. Those things which he has, how many of you have the word not in the sentence? How many of you don't have the word not in the sentence? All right, I'm going to ask this question again. How many of you have the word not in the sentence? Raise your hands high. High, high, high. How many of you do not have the word not in the sentence? How many of you does this bother? There, this is what's called a textual variant. There are Greek manuscripts that have the word not in them. There are Greek manuscripts that don't have the word not in them. <gasps> what are we going to do? Are we going to trust the Bible? So let's read it both ways. Let's read it. Taking delight in false humility. Does this sound like a positive or a negative? This is a negative, right? We've got false humility of worship of angels, including intruding into those things which he has not seen, puffed up by his fleshly mind. All right? So if I am puffed up on things that I have not seen, is that good or bad? Okay? If I am puffed up on things that I have seen, is that good or bad? doesn't change the context. Okay? So you ask me, Jim, which one's right? I don't know. 
One of them is, but I don't know which one, and it's okay. So when we talk about we have thousands and thousands of manuscripts that give evidence to the veracity and truthfulness of the Scripture, we do, absolutely. But not every one of them is word perfect the same, and that's okay because we have some variants, and we'll talk about those as we go through. So that's a textual variant. So he's puffed up. So this idea is like a puffer fish. Um, the word is inflated. That's your blank there. He's puffed up by his fleshly mind and not holding fast to the head. So I've listed several uh, verses there in Colossians that talk about the head, Jesus being the head. Um, the blank from Calvin is he condemns, Paul condemns, whatever does not bear a relation to Christ. So anything that is not connected to Jesus Christ is a problem because it will not result in something that is good for the believer. It will eventually result in something that is a problem for the believer, connected to anything other than Christ. Uh, Philip says that the cult at Colossae was doing something a cult always does. It was putting something in the place of Christ. Right? Because I'm going to put uh, uh, worship of angels or false humility or uh, knowledge that lets me be inflated about myself so it says, by his fleshly mind, not, hold, and not holding fast to the head, from whom all the body, again, all the Colossians references to the body, nourished and knit together by joints and, uh, by joints and ligaments grows and inc- with increase that is from God. So several words here. This word for nourished is to fully supplied. It's got everything that they need. Knit together. Um, it's actually not a sewing term. I was really excited because I thought I'd seen another sewing term. And I was like... I'm going to do a series at one point in my life on all the uh, sewing language that Paul uses. And then you're looking at me like I've lost my ever-loving mind, so I feel like I need to explain it to you. I'm going to do a series at some point in my life after I've done a lot more of the New Testament books by Paul on all the language that he uses around sewing in the New Testament because there's just there's gobs and gobs and gobs of it. So, And I was excited because I thought I had another reference, but this doesn't have anything to do with sewing. So This is like repairing a, uh, a body that has been torn, uh, this is mashing things together, that kind of thing. So by joints and ligaments, uh, and these are things that fasten together and make connections. Uh, Galen, you guys know the Galen Medical Group here in Hickson? So Galen was a what? Like the actual guy named Galen. There's a guy named Galen. He was a what? He was a doctor, yes. And he wrote down a lot of things about medicine, and that's why a lot of things are named after him today. Uh, But he actually used this word for ligaments uh, of the human body. So Paul sees a physical body, he sees our physical body as a representation of the head is Jesus, we are the body. We are not the head, the head is not the body. They are connected, but they are not the same. So a lot of theology involved in that. So finally, verse 20, we get to uh, asceticism. Now, Gnosticism was one of the things that was in the mix, that was in the buffet, that we're trying to refute here. And Gnosticism basically said that matter is evil. So everything we can see and feel and touch is evil. We are matter, so we are evil too. And you can go one of two directions if we are evil. If, if I'm evil, then everything I do doesn't matter. I can do whatever I want to do because it's just going to be evil. So I can sin as much as I want. I can live however I want. I can do whatever I want to do. So that's one direction Gnosticism can take you in. The other direction Gnosticism can take you in is I need to control my body. I need to beat it down and make sure that there is nothing that it can do that is even worse than it is doing right now. So you get into uh, things like 
uh, self-flagellation. Um, anybody ever seen the Da Vinci Code? Yep. Seen the Da Vinci Code? There's a character in the Da Vinci Code, the, Alba the Albano guy, uh, and he's got a what? It's called a salise, actually. It's, a, it's like a metal thing of strips, and he wraps it around his thigh, and periodically, what does he do? He tightens it up, and he walks with pain because he is of the opinion that his body needs to be beaten down and dealt with that way so that he does not experience pleasure in life because that would be sin for him. You're like, wow. Yeah, there's like 700 steps to get from matter is bad to wrap a piece of barbed wire around my leg. But that's kind of where this goes sometimes. So Paul is going to deal with this second part here, this rigid asceticism. So verse 20, therefore, if you died with Christ, if you died with Christ from the basic principles, so from these elements, from these alphabetical basic things, this was synonymous with the Jewish ceremonial stuff of the day, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations? So Paul asked this rhetorical question. I told you, Albert, we're going to get to. Why are you going back to the law? You died with Christ, and he saved you from that. So why are you going back to that? Sorry, you're sitting over here. You just happen to be the law today, so I apologize. Um, so why do you subject yourselves to regulations? And then in verse 21, he lists a couple of them. You see this quote? Some of your Bibles have quotes. These are, this is Paul. We think this is Paul quoting these folks that are promoting a law-keeping worldview. Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using. So food, clothes, comforts, as you use these things, they perish, which all concerns things that perish with the using, according to the commandments and doctrines of who? Men. You see the phrase doctrines of men in the Bible? We're not talking about the good stuff. We're talking about the made-up junk. All right? Uh, there are, I've got written in my notes, there's aspects of our lives where bolting things on to the existing is good. So I drive a 77 Ford. There are, there are times when things come off of the vehicle, and we need to, to like bolt them back on. Or there are new things uh, that I want to add to the vehicle because it helps and it makes the experience more uh, nice. Uh, we do this with our homes. The home isn't big enough. It needs some help in one area. We add a room on or we fix some piece. Um, but there are pieces of, there are things in the universe that, that you do not get to bolt on. The gospel is one of them. The gospel does not allow bolt-ons. You can't add something else to the gospel and, oh, it gets better. No, it gets worse because you've broken it. Anytime we add something to the gospel, it no longer is the gospel at that point. It's Christ and Christ alone, or it is whatever else you want to do. Um, all right, verse 23. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion. So remember last week I talked to you about how Paul made up words? This is another one. He did it again. This, this word is nowhere else in first century writing. So this self-imposed religion. Um, and, and, and it looks like it's really spiritual. You ever met these folks? Look, I don't do that. Because God's not pleased when we do that. You met these folks? Yes? Yes. It's self-imposed religion. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a lot of rules and regulations and build up these walls. Um, self-imposed religion, false humility, here it is again, and neglect of the body. This word neglect is like this unsparing austerity. It is just 
I'm going to let it, uh, this is the, the worst interpretation ever of Frozen, I'm going to let it go. It's going to look like whatever, it's going to be like whatever, it just it doesn't matter, we're just going to let it go. Neglect of the body. Uh, Stedman's got a quote here about uh, discipline. He says, dedication and discipline are a proper part of the Christian life, but you can make a God of discipline. And the God there is a little g. You can make a God of discipline. You can take perverse delight in making yourself do difficult things that win the approval of others, and you imagine of God as well. But these things are what? Of what kind of value? No, no value against the indulgence of the flesh. So as we walk in our life, law-keeping, legalism, mysticism, asceticism do nothing to help us get closer to Christ. They do nothing to constrain the flesh. They do nothing. They add no value for our walk with Jesus. So I go back to Paul's rhetorical question. Why would we do it? Why would we do it? Because I get to look good when I keep the list. And I get to tell somebody that I kept the list. How cool am I? And the reality is, Jesus fulfilled all the list, and then he set it aside so that we don't have to, which is a better model. So let him do that. So what's the point? All right, number one, shadows are real. They really are. They're real. So personalize what I do with that. Well, don't be satisfied with a shadow because it's a shadow. It's a shadow. Number two, on application, shadows are caused by substance. Be satisfied with the substance. And then number three, legalism, mysticism, and asceticism are still around. And I bet you all know the answer. Jesus is still the answer. Yes. It's beautiful. One of the things I love about the scripture is that you can pick this up and 20 years from now, no matter what America looks like, no matter who is elected president or the next president or the next or whatever, no matter what the Supreme Court does, Jesus will still be the answer. And there's some confidence in that. So I'm excited about that. All right, so at the middle of your table should be a piece of paper that's got the weekly update at the top. So if you will make sure that you've got your name written down and your prayer requests written down on that, that would be fantastic. Uh, take a sec, make sure those are the latest, greatest, and most up-to-date. And uh, Thanks for coming. To we are now officially halfway through Colossians. Yes. I figured that would be like the wave breakout or something. It's okay. Yes, we can leave the tables and chairs up today. So. Thanks, guys. Thank <laughs> you.